the Apostle Paul was exploring the city of Athens. Athens was his latest stop on his second missionary journey. And in Athens, Paul was actually waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him. And while he was waiting, he looked around. Now, Paul had been to many places already on that journey and the previous. He had a habit of finding the synagogue or finding a marketplace so that he could talk with people. And he could tell them about Jesus, and certainly just as other cities had those things, so did Athens. But Athens stood out to Paul in another way. Paul was distressed, we're told, because he looked out at the city of Athens and he found all sorts of examples of idolatry. There were temples scattered about and shrines and altars, and figures, and statues. Paul even found a a unique thing among all of these other items of worship, and he mentions that in the words of our sermon text today. When he was talking to the council of the Areopagus, he talked about this unique find in the city of Athens about an altar to an unknown God. Why do you suppose the people of Athens had an altar to an unknown God? Some people wonder if that altar had been there for a long time and maybe an old inscription on it had gotten worn down or worn off and maybe the people remembered that they used to worship some God there but they couldn't remember They couldn't really think of who it was or which God it had been. And so they just left this new inscription, well, to an unknown God. Other people wonder, at least, if if maybe the Athenians were just trying to cover all their bases. They did have a lot of gods. They had gods like Zeus and Apollo and the goddess Athena, who shared a name with the city of Athens. But maybe they were worried that they had forgotten somebody. They didn't know the name of a god. They weren't sure how to worship. So they they put that altar up as kind of a catch-all. Well, if we missed some god, now we can worship that god too. Maybe that was their thinking. Paul discussed this particular altar, and he discussed his impressions of the city of Athens when he spoke to this council of the Areopagus. The verses of our reading actually begin with Paul's words, the the words that Paul spoke when he stood up and spoke to this council. But Paul had been doing some speaking before that. Paul had been preaching and teaching, as was his custom in every city that he visited. And people had heard the good news about Jesus. They had heard him declare that Jesus was the risen Savior. But what had happened in Athens was as people heard about it, they wanted to know more. Not just the people who were interested in what Paul's message was, but also people who were 
just curious about new things and new ways of thinking. People on the council that met at the Areopagus. It's a funny sounding word in English and Greek that means Mars Hill. And it was an actual hill. It was just a little bit down and a little bit over from the highest point in the entire city of Athens. And this council met there for many years, even centuries. And at different times, it had different roles and responsibilities. But by the time of Paul, it was concerned mainly with ideas about education and religion. And it was sort of a court, but not completely And so it could make some rulings about whether this was a good thing for the city or not. But the people of the council, much like many of the other people of Athens, were just interested in hearing what people had to say. Just curious to listen to new teachings and new ideas. They heard that Paul may have some new teachings and new ideas, so they summoned him, they brought him to that hill where he could present before them. And so Paul spoke. He put it in a a good light. I walked around Athens and I noticed that you Athenians are very religious. You've got all sorts of worship items and materials. But apparently those Athenians were also aware that they maybe didn't know everything. Because Paul had found that other altar to an unknown God. Wasn't that an admission at least of some level of uncertainty? Well, Paul used that altar and that uncertainty to bring home his point, to share with them something that was certain for Paul, and he wanted it to be certain for them as well. This is how he introduced. He said, now what you worship as unknown, this is what I am going to proclaim to you. And then Paul began speaking about the true God. And in a way we could say, Paul was teaching the people of Athens that the true God doesn't really need somebody to proclaim him to them because the true God leaves evidence of his existence all around us. The true God reveals himself in the world. The true God, as Paul went on to explain, is the one who created the entire universe, is the one who created the world, is the one who created everything that fills the world, and of course that means he created people. And he provides for people. He sustains them. And the Athenians already had some idea about this. Their poets wrote things about this, about the evidence that God leaves behind and how he is the one who creates people. The poet said things like, for in him we live and move and have our being. And things like, indeed, we are also his offspring. The Athenians knew these things because they were able to observe the world around them. They understood what we might call the natural knowledge of God. They could see that somebody powerful and wise must have created everything around them. And they even responded by worshiping, by putting various deities in place that they might worship. But Paul was pointing out to them how often they got it mixed around. They made and fashioned a God that they could worship. 
But really, the God whom they should worship was the one who had made and had fashioned them. Clearly, the natural knowledge of God is not enough for what anybody, including those Athenians, needed. And so God, the true God, reveals himself in another way. The true God reveals himself in his Son. You are here in church because you have heard the message of his Son. You've heard about Jesus and his life for you, his death in your place, and his resurrection from the dead. You're here because you've learned about those things and you've, you've taken them to heart. This is the truth, that Jesus, God himself, came into our world. He is the creator, but he came into this world of people to live the life that we failed to live to do right all the things that we have done wrong, to place himself in that position where he could suffer and die for our sins, for our wrongdoings. He did it not just for us, but for all people. And he is going to come as a judge. He's going to make a judgment. He's going to give to some what their sins deserve, which is punishment not just immediate punishment, but eternal punishment. And he's the one who provided rescue and escape so that we might have something else, something better, salvation to look forward to. And Paul reminds us that Jesus proved that all of this was true when after he was put to death, he rose from the dead. That's the message that Paul was sharing with the council there on Mars Hill. That's the message that Paul had shared throughout his first missionary journey, the one that he was sharing during this, his second missionary journey. It's the same message he was going to share on his next missionary journeys as well. And it is the message that we gather around today and every time we worship. It's a message that we have to share with other people also. Now, Paul was speaking to pagan people who lived in a pagan culture in first century Athens. You might think, well, what does this have to do with me in Tucson and its suburbs in 2023? The fact is, we have a lot more in common with those Athenian people than you might think on the surface or that you might want to admit. Certainly there are drastic differences between that time and that place and our time and place, but there are lots of similarities too. You can walk around Tucson and its surrounding areas and you can find all sorts of altars to false gods can find all sorts of altars, for example, to the gods of materialism and greed. They're not marked that way. They don't, they don't have that inscription on them. But isn't that what these amazingly opulent houses and incredibly fancy cars are? Altars to greed and materialism? You can find altars or temples to gods of politicians or politics 
Maybe it's not the season for these things right now, but you remember the season when people start putting yard signs in their yards or at every intersection that you pass. And people seem to think, well, everything would be fine, everything would be great if only people would vote the way that I do. You don't have to go very far to find monuments or temples or altars to gods like science or knowledge. We even hear them chanting sometimes, follow the science. And they say that even as they don't trust in God to take care of their health and safety and security. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong in and of itself with government or with money or property or politicians or knowledge or science. These can all be wonderful good gifts of God, but like all His good gifts to us, they can be abused and they can be warped and they can be perverted into something else. Because if we focus our lives on them, if we focus our attention on those things and not on God, if we love them and we trust in them, well, they become our gods. And what about the doubts that we have? And what about the uncertainty that we feel in our sinful hearts isn't that basically the same thing as setting up an altar to an unknown God? I think even worse at times, sometimes we who do know the true God still have an unknown God in our hearts because we kind of try to hedge our bets. We confess that we are saved by grace alone only because of what Jesus has done for us, but we kind of think, well, I want to do the other things too just in case. If God looks at my church attendance record, I want to make sure it's spotless. If he checks my offering statement, I want to make sure that it's generous. If he looks at the way I live my life, well, then I'm going to act in a way that he wants me to. And we take a good thing like church attendance and offerings and even obedience to God's commands and we turn it into a false god. And Paul would be distressed, and we ought to be distressed by that as well. But thanks be to the true God, the true God who reveals himself to our hearts and in our lives. He makes himself known to us. God is the creator of our world. He is the creator of our lives. He's the one who has given us every good gift from his own hands, and he sent his own son, Jesus, to live for us and to die for us and to rise again. And he calls us to be his own by the preaching of that amazing news by that incredible gospel, he adopts us into his own family through the waters of baptism. He feeds us, he feeds our souls and our faith in his son's body and blood in the sacrament of Holy Communion. He gives us all these good gifts and so much more. And that means that instead of the destruction that we deserve because of our idolatry, 
Because of our uncertainty, because of our doubt, He gives us as a free gift eternal life and salvation. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. Paul pointed out that just as God, the true God, makes himself known in this world and makes himself known through his son, Jesus Christ, so he makes himself known in the lives of people. Paul concluded his discussion with the Areopagus, this council of the Areopagus, by talking to them about repentance, by talking to them about turning away from sin and turning toward God, the true God, and and looking to serve and honor Him with our lives. Paul didn't have a whole lot of time. He didn't have additional sessions to speak to these council members at the Areopagus, so he didn't go into the sort of detail like, like Jesus did. When Jesus talked to His disciples, whom He had taught and trained for years already, When Jesus told them about the Holy Spirit and all the good gifts that the Holy Spirit would bring for them. And when he told them that the one who loves me will obey my commands. Paul didn't get into all of that, but he told us about the start. The start of obeying Jesus' commands is repentance. It's turning away from our sins, turning away from our selfish ideas, and turning towards God and turning towards the commands, the things that He asks and invites us to do and gives us to do in our lives. Yeah, God makes Himself known in our lives so that we hold on to this amazing message of salvation in Jesus Christ and then act in a way that serves and loves others. The Holy Spirit has given us an amazing opportunity. He had this account recorded for us so we could listen in with the council members of the Areopagus so that we could wander around Athens with Paul to think some of his thoughts and see the things that he saw. But most of all, the Holy Spirit has given us this account so that we might know and we might have joy in knowing this amazing news. That the true God shows himself, makes himself known to us. He makes himself known in the world. He makes himself known in our hearts and through our lives. And he makes himself known in the person of Jesus Christ who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.